0: spreading cajun across the nation pushing the brand across the land welcome to ragin review made by the fans for the fans
1: Matt Miguez here. Welcome to Rage and Review. Happy hump day to you. We're, we're a little disappointed this morning um, after after last night's game between the Cajuns and the Warhawks at Russo Park. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, you, you've probably listened to the Rage and Review recap that we posted last night, breaking down a little bit of what happened in the game last night. We'll go deeper into it. In this episode now, Jerry Bear and man about town, Josh Jagno, Join me gentlemen. First of all, good morning. And, you know, secondly, wh- why don't we just go ahead and, and, and dive on into it. And uh, question number one is what the hell happened last night?
2: Yeah. Good morning, uh, Matt. Good morning, Josh. Uh, So I had the chance to go to the game. Of course, Josh was there, too. Uh, We watched together. And uh, there's certain times where, and I said this the other day, where the game is, you know, you have an eight-game stretch against competition that's not bad, but beatable. Um, And when you have that eight-game stretch against beatable teams that you should be able to run the table on and get hot for, uh, when you drop one of them off of, um, you know, a little bit of carelessness, a little bit of sloppiness, it becomes very frustrating, especially considering the team that we lost to last night. Um, I, I think I'm more disappointed at the fact that, you know, yes, we let the game slip, but there was some decision-making in the dugout where I just kind of watched and I'm like, what, what are you doing? And I'm not again, I've said this before, I'm going to play armchair quarterback. Yes, I'm crossing sports references here, but, you know, or armchair pitcher, I guess, or armchair batter, whatever you call it. But I just, I, I, it was disappointing because I thought we were obviously the better team but yet we let the game slip off of just goofy decision-making or questionable decision-making and just situations where that we should have never, it should have never gotten to that point. Um, and it's a midweek game. Yes. I know a lot of times you try to play as many guys as you can. You try to do what you can to make sure that people get some experience, but it also comes with certain scenarios that also comes with certain situations. Uh, but I just found that we made some decisions off of situations at the wrong time last night. And it definitely showed And it. And that's why we're here this morning talking about the loss instead of uh, a solid win.
3: I appreciate the good mornings fellas. I would say what's so good about it. Uh, I'm tired of walking on the field and having the better baseball team of the field with an L And I don't think that Monroe's a slouch. Uh, I've said it before, but ULM is extremely improved compared to where they were just three years ago. It's not that I disrespect their team. I I think actually pretty highly of their team, all things considered. But I told y'all two months ago, I'm uneasy about what's happening in the dugout. And I got crushed. Oh God, how could you say something like that? Oh my God. Matt's a hater, Matt's of this, Matt's of that, old, knee-jerk reaction. What a dickhead. And now, every time you log on to the social sites, people are starting to pay attention. Well, why are we making these defensive changes? Why are we pinch-hitting 176 hitters over hitters that are in the starting lineup that just got you an RBI knock two innings before? Why are we only playing matchups and not playing nuts versus nuts? What's going on? Why are we so aggressive? Look, I understand that Dex is aggressive. I understand JT is aggressive. Why do we have to have a hit and run? Why why are our hitters constantly in a state of looking in the dugout, looking for a sign, hit and run slash bunt? Why does that have to be the MO? Why can't hitters just have an at-bat? Why do we steal our catcher every time he's on first base? Why do we have to steal a run at third when he's clearly going to be out from a left field or a right field throw? You're starting to ask these questions and it's starting to feel like we, we got some guessing going
2: on. So I say again, gentlemen, what's so damn good about it? Well, it's, it's another day. I guess that's a good thing. It's another day we get to uh, wake up and, and, and talk sports, but. All you know, right. I, Socrates, I, I'm just, listen,
3: losing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about right, baseball
2: Socrates. here. I was about to say, Hey, look, Hey, i I'm, I'm, I'm breaking out my philosophy here. No, I, no, baseball wise, Aristotle. we're so good about it. nothing. There's nothing good about that. And, and I, I think as a fan, as a fan base, we've become, you know, very impatient quickly. And again, I'm not going to, you know, throw, I'm, I'm not going to go out and say, oh my gosh, we need a new coach and all that. Like some of these people are, I mean, some of this stuff is Armageddon and again, the man hasn't coached a full season yet. At least I, I feel that we should give him a few seasons to, before we make a judgment like that, but no, I mean, it doesn't take away the fact that there's liability and there's there's um, there, there's liability in the dugout right now due to some of this decision-making, like you said. I mean, one of the ones that stuck out to us last night was uh, the bottom of the ninth inning, seven to six, man on second and third, and you take out Borgie for Nick Hagadorn, who goes in as a, as a pinch hitter. And Borgonio's been one of the most consistent batters we've had in the past three or four weeks. He's been able to get on base, he's hit home runs, he got that huge knock yesterday before Cofield got that two on RBI to get that rally going, and I think it was the sixth inning. Um, and you take them out when you needed to win the most. And that's where things like that, and I understand where the frustration comes from when you make decisions like that. And I feel, you know, I've said it in football, and it goes for any sport. Sometimes coaches outcoach themselves. and I think that's what we saw last night. I think coaches outcoach themselves, and and sometimes coaches outsmart themselves because they try to get too fancy. What have I said? Stick with the basics. Stick with the basics. Stick with the basics. You know how you stick with the basics? You stay with a consistent lineup. You stay with the hot back. You stay with the hot arm. You don't try to move people around in the infield and play musical chairs and put players in position that have never played the position before. This isn't Little League. This is college, man. And so, yeah, no, nah, that's.
3: And look, yeah. we, we know why. Okay. For anybody out there listening, and, and we're saying, "Why would you do it?" We know the answer. The answer is it's a matchup play. It's an odd play. He liked the matchup. We understand that. This is my problem with the analytical coaching philosophy. Yeah, maybe the numbers tell a certain story, but sometimes a guy is just on a roll. Sometimes a guy who's in the lineup that have seen has been seeing live bullets all night is a better option. Maybe the split is bad for, say, a Brett Borgonio in that position. Maybe, you know, maybe he was hitting that particular reliever or a righty-lefty versus whatever. 200 points better or worse. Maybe that, maybe that's, that's true. But maybe that hit that he got in the sixth with the bases loaded gave him some confidence. Maybe the bat was starting to get going. But, again, I said this in the last episode, it takes a special kind of human being, not necessarily player, but special kind of human being to come off of the bench and hit cold, especially a guy like Haggy, who really does two things well. He puts it in the gap and he hits it over the wall. Outside of that, he's a strikeout candidate. And by the way, he backward k in that in that at bat.
1: So so so
3: we know why it's being done. We know why Deggs does what he does. The, the the question is why do we continue to do it if it's not if it's not giving the results? And to this point, I mean Here's another thing, Jerry. We talked about this in the stands. We continue to shift. We continue to use the defensive shift. How many times did Little Rock beat the shift this weekend? Had to be five or six times. I mean, at some point, let's just line up and play baseball. At some point, let's just line up and say, hey, we think our guys are better than
1: your guys, and let's go play. Roll the ball out there. See what happens. All right, so I'm going to put... A, a coaching hat on for a second. I want, I want you. I'm gonna play a realistic, you know, lineup here, and tell, tell me if I sound crazy. Ben Fitzgerald, a designated hitter. Brennan Bro at first base. See, who, who, who would you put at second base? No, Matt, go ahead. Look, I, we'll, we oh, can do this. No, keep
2: going. You're
1: yeah, doing fine. I'll, you're C- doing good. Go. CJ Willis at second. Let's, let's, just, let's just say that. Um, let's go with Bobby. Let's go Brett Borgorgonio at short. You put Bobby Lede over at third. And then in the outfield, you have. No, I'm sorry. You put Cofield at third. And then in the outfield, you have Kimple, Rockefort, and Robertson with Osborne behind the dish. How hard is that? Uh, it <laughs>
3: sounds simple, that? right? It sounds simple. So this is what I like. And I've been telling people this and and for, we've got 30 some odd games under our belt. So we, we kind of feel like we have an idea of what guys can do. I like CJ at first from his time at first base, he is the most rangy and he looks the most natural to me. He is his baseball IQ is as high as anybody's on the team. I don't like him at second and third because I just he, he doesn't seem like a natural fit there. I'm not saying he can't play the position, but I but I'm just telling you, if I had to have my druthers, he's at first base. Okay. It gives you a bigger target for everybody else. CJ at first. If Bobby Leday has to be in the lineup, put him at short, you have fewer responsibilities. You get him in the lineup like you want him. He's rangy enough to play a good second base. He's got a good enough arm. Okay. Put Brett at short. Brett has started three games at short. We've made two cumulative errors as a defensive team. Think about that. Just keep that in the back of your mind. If you got to have another stick on the corner, just go ahead and put Cofield at third and let the chips fall where they may. If you need a defensive replacement or you feel like the matchup is better, put in Grizzly. You never know what could happen later in the season. But defensively, put him in and leave him there. One or the other. You need, le- you need Connor to play left because you need to keep D.H. open for Ben because Ben hits like 150 points higher as a D.H. I mean, those are numbers you can't argue with. Um, you know, you have to find a place for for uh, for Brennan. For so so you, have, you know, that, b- and, that, and
1: that's why I'd put Brennan at first, because he I, has I, to be in the lineup. And he I understand that
3: but he also made a critical error last night. Okay. So he gives you some up and downs too. And look, sometimes it's just baseball. I understand that, but that was an egregious error. We can come back to that. TR is your center fielder. Everybody knows that. And rock just, he played, he's such a solid right fielder and we need a stick. And of course, Drake's going to catch for you. I don't see how we haven't fallen on a lineup like that or similar to that in game 33 or 34 or wherever the hell we are. I don't get it. And Jerry, you
1: can we're go ahead
2: and Friday, say your piece.
1: Friday, Friday night will be game 41, but
2: you know. Yeah, we're at 40 now. So we'll be at 41 on Friday night. Yeah. Disgusting. And, and, and I, I'm with you. So you, you had mentioned put Lede at short and then you put, you said Borgie at short. You mean Lede, at, would you say Lede at second base?
3: Yes, say? my bad. I meant, okay. I meant yeah. Lede at second. Sorry about that. No, Borgie I, short, Lede second. To me, look, you, you get a stick in the lineup that you want and you you're, you
2: automatically get stronger up the middle, which is where we have been the worst. Well, here's the thing about those two positions, and I'll give you my lineup and my my defensive uh, lineup. I think whether it's Borgie and Lede, whether they're both playing second or short, each one of those guys should be playing one of those positions. And that's it. If If they want to put Lede at short, put Borgie at second or vice versa. If you want to put Borgie at short, play Lede at second. They're both athletic enough, and they both would play those positions perfectly. I think those are the only two positions, in my opinion, that they should be playing, okay? Third base, like you said, give it to Cofield. Cofield did a good job last night at third, and his bat's hot. He's, he's, a, he's a good hitter. I mean, look, the guy who was killing it in, in was it junior college before he transferred here to UL, so he's, he should be at third. Uh first base, I'd probably go between either Bro and Willis. I think Willis naturally is the best position because he's tall and lanky. Anything you throw at him, he's gonna be able to stop it. Uh he's just he's got the build. He's he, I mean he's got the he's got the stretch, like you said, Josh. It's very true. I would put him in there, especially Well look with
3: at the Pat. picks that he had last night. I mean well, he had a couple of nice picks.
2: The throw Borgie made last night from third base, he overthrew him and, and he, Willis caught it with ease. I mean, I think if he's at first base Saturday night, he might have stopped the ball from going past him. So, I mean, no, I agree. I mean, I think Willis needs to be at first base. Roccafort, right field, no question. T-Rob, center field, no question. I think Kimple and Bro can rotate in left field. Kimple probably more natural. I think they're both really good in left field. Um, If you want to keep Bro in there, you can always sub Bro in every time. You can rotate Bro and Willis at first. You can rotate him with Kimple. Now, if you want to keep Kimple in the lineup, then you probably have to move bro to, fir- uh, to, to first, but I well, also Jerry, think between
3: here, here's the thing with Kemp. If you look at Kemp's numbers and you look at his games played, he's the, he's like a running back that needs more carries to get lathered up. If you look at the times where he's been in the lineup and he's had, you know, multiple at bats over the course of two weeks, he gets stronger as he sees pitches. Now he's been in a little bit of a funk lately. So yeah, sure. Throw Brennan in the left field and let him have some at bats. And if he's hot, let him stay there. But Kemple to me, he, he's one of the alpha guys that people follow on this team. And you got to find that role for him. And I know he's going through a little bit of something, but he's going to bust out of that. And you got to trust. This is where trusting
2: your players comes in, and you can't always play the damn numbers. Right. I think, I think in left field, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's solidified his spot in left field. But if you do want to rotate, bro, and that's a good point that Matt brings up. I do think you can either alternate him, rotate him with Willis, or you can just put him in left and rotate him with Kemple. I would probably prefer to rotate him at first base and just take Willis out every now and then. Um, And I say that because I feel like Willis on defense, like you said, he's a great first baseman, but he just just doesn't look natural at second base. He's tall, he's lanky, very athletic. But most second basemen that I'm familiar with are a lot shorter. They're a little bit stockier. Like Jace Conrad is not a tall guy, right? But Jace Conrad was an All-American at second base. Jonathan Brandon is not a tall guy, but he's very athletic at second base. Bobby Lede is not a tall guy, very athletic at second base. Your second baseman should be a little bit shorter, but a little bit more on the athletic side. As far as size goes, I think Willis is just best at first base. I mean, um, look, look at Ozzie, how well,
1: look at how well Jose Altuve's done it.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. He's five, and, and,
1: six, and he's probably the best second baseman in baseball.
2: Right, and he's got the movements. Now, I also think, obviously, Ozzie a catcher. I mean, he's killing it right now. Drake Osborne ha- is living up to his high piece. He's doing a great job there. Um, but, yeah, so that, just to name it, I think Lede should be at second. G-Rob Drake is also hitting, field. like, what was like 21 of his last 36? Yeah, he's he's on. A, he got a hit last night. He's been on a roll. He's on a hitting streak. So, yeah, no. But, yeah, Lede at second. T-Rob center field. Borgie shortstop. Cofield third. Rocco at right field. Ozzy catcher. Kimple left field, Bro and Willis maybe rotated first base and been the DH. I mean, I'm very similar to what you said, Josh.
1: Well, you know, one, one, one thing that I found interesting. And again, I want to disclaim this. I was not at the baseball game last night. I was working, listened to it on the radio, you know, so on and so forth. Post game, Matt Deggs sat down with the media and, um, he made a very, interesting quote that i would like to play now and then we can discuss so i'm going to play that quote from coach Deggs here real quick
4: we're like the kid that keeps touching the stove you know even after mom tells you not to it's it's very lovable but you know what i'm saying it's don't do that don't do that don't do that and we you know it's and at some point, we're gonna, you know, the light bulb's gonna go off,
1: and it's gonna go boom. So, if you haven't heard it, you know, he, he sits there and he says, you know, we're we're the kid that keeps touching the stove, even after mom says not to. You know, you, you keep doing it, and you and you know it, you know it's wrong, but you keep doing it anyway. So, and and you know the the way, and again, I, I'm not here to. To crush coaches or you know anything like that, but the way it was worded almost seems to me like he wasn't taking a whole lot of the blame.
3: I heard it a little differently and I posted as much. Uh when you see when you say we, are you talking about the coaches?
1: Right, that, talking that, about that the was, players. That, that, that was kind. Of, that was kind of the point that I was getting at. He. he right. it, okay. I was going to ask that too. It, 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 it didn't seem like the he is the coach when he said we. He, at least the way the way I interpreted it, he was talking about the players and not really throwing a whole lot of blame on the coaches.
3: I, which, I which is which is
1: which is concerning. Well, I
3: interpreted it to be the coaches, and that's probably because I want to interpret it that way. Because what I see is a coaching staff that continues to try to shove a square peg in a round hole. And so the comment makes perfect sense to me, if you take it that way.
2: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, I kind of thought of it like we keep trying to touch the pot or touch the, you know, mom says, don't touch the pot. It's one of those things where, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something you're technically not supposed to do and you keep doing it and you burn your hand. And some of these decisions, some of the decision making we've had or or done were touching the pot, you know, changing up lineups, uh, you know, pinch hitting certain guys that, you know, you just know, unfortunately, are not really as consistent, you know, moving around your pitching staff. And look, sometimes with players, sometimes with the players, like the the error at first base, the error to third, we've talked about, Josh. I mean, that's that could be related to players, too. Some of the players made some goofy decisions. They're swinging at bad pitches. I mean, it it could be the, it could be the players. It could be, it could be interpreted either way. So
1: let's look at it this way. Say, say he is talking about the coaches, which I hope to God that he is. Um, you know, clearly the message is that he knows the way that they're doing things isn't right, but they keep doing it and they keep doing it and they keep doing it. So my question would be, you're the man that has the power to change it. Why the hell aren't you? if you if you know if you know and and you know it, it's it's a different situation when you're talking about a a little kid and and, and a grown man. <laughs> a little kid might not know any better. A grown man should sit there and go, "Oh, crap, this isn't working. What if we do this instead? Like, I'm just, I'm just a little confused here as to... And again, no disrespect to Coach Deggs. Love the hell out of the guy. I'm glad he's here. I'm just a little confused as to the thought processes in well, the Well, you're being a fan.
3: You're being a fan, and you have the right to say what you're saying. We all do. I mean, we pay and show up and support. We've been here a lot longer than Deggs, and we'll be here a lot longer. Uh, we'll be here after Deggs. You know what I mean? So don't pull your punches. I mean, be respectful, obviously. And that's what we're doing here. And there's something that can be said about, I respect the fact that he's sticking to his convictions as a coach kind of. Um, And look, I'm not saying it, it won't work later, but what I am saying is that with this particular team, you know, one thing that's amazing about Sean Payton, okay. Is that his ability to adjust to the quarterback that he has on the roster at the time. He did it with Drew Brees when he came from San Diego. He did it with Taysom. He did it with Teddy. Yeah, and he's going to do it with Jameis. He's going to run the the offense that fits his quarterback. That is the sign and of that's a, why, an incredible... And, that, and that's why Sean's the man. That's right. And that, 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 is the, the co- that is the sign of a good coach. And Sean is just very good at it. But to me, when you try to force your system on players, shout out JT... And it doesn't work, you got to change what you're doing. At some point, maybe just tweak you instead of always tweaking the other guy. And that's what I and again, I'm not a coach. I'm 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 speaking as a guy that sits in the fan, sits in the stands, drinks beer, and eats peanuts. I've been watching baseball for 30 years. I played baseball my entire youth and into high school and all that stuff. No, I've never been at the D1 level like at a Raging Cajuns program, okay? So please save all that shit. Listen, we can all watch baseball and have an opinion without being an expert coach, all right? I'm not speaking in, the, in that way. I, I'm not trying to tell Deggs that he's an idiot. I'm telling you, we've been watching baseball at this program for a long time under a certain brand of ball. What we're seeing now is so foreign that we're confused and we have questions and, well, and that's even, okay.
2: I'll even dumb it down a little bit on what you just said. So we have eyes and we can see quite well on the field. And what I saw was a seven to six score bottom of the ninth two outs. And you put your starting shortstop where well, he was third base at the time because they moved him to the third base. A guy who got an RBI single, a guy who's clutch, you know, is not a power hitter, but he gets on base, right? You you took he, out he's, you he's took a clutch out, hitter.
1: You took out a guy that had two base hits on the night for a 176 backup catcher.
2: And that's and again, I'm not a coach, but I have eyes. I see that. We we see that on the field, and you're looking and, and you see on the scoreboard 176 batting average, and you're going, wait a second, hold on. What Wait, and that's not a coach. That's not being a coach. That's, that's seeing seeing it. You see it. And and not to mention, Jerry, you and I talked about this
1: off the air. It's a hundred, it's a thousand times different. If he swings at strike three, he maybe. watched it into the glove. No, it, it, there's no, maybe it 100 as a baseball fan. I am 100% less mad. If he at least tries to hit, oh yeah, the ball. If he chased
2: right. You, he but chase, listen, you
1: that is best, the yeah. product
3: of sitting on the bench the f- and not seeing live bullets. It's part of the. That is one of the major reasons why it's so hard to hit as a pinch hitter. And guys, if we're sitting here and we're forty and twelve, or, or thirty and twelve, or whatever it was, the questions are maybe not as pointed. 100%. Okay, you can. You can look at Dags and say, hey, this is a little unorthodox, unorthodox, and we don't necessarily understand it, but hey, it seems to be working so great. But we're
1: 30 and 12, so keep it up.
3: Correct. But here we are, 22, 22 and 18, and, 18. And, we're, and we're losing the teams that we are better. And look, it's not close. We are better than a lot of these teams that we're, lo- we're losing to, okay? At some point, it's okay to ask the question, okay? Here's a question for you. Unless he got hurt or unless they're saving him, saving him for Sunday. Austin Perrin goes out, pitches four solid, gives up three hits, no walks, four Ks, throws 45 pitches, and you lift him for, you know, six other, pitches that, six other pitchers that really kind of just let it get away from you. Uh,
1: well, you know, well I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it to Degs on this. That was his plan from the get-go. He said it in the pregame interview that Perrin was only going to pitch – Three or four innings.
3: Okay, good. We'll see. I didn't hear that. So that that answers the question. Yeah, no, that, that, well, that was issue, that was
1: the game plan all along. Perrin was only well, gonna pitch three or four innings.
2: In spite of that though, what's frustrating, we lose by one run. Three of those runs that we gave up were unearned.
1: Well,
3: and look, you know. some of that's on walks because Chip, you know, did what he did. But the big point
2: the big point to well the wild pitches.
3: Here's the thing, and then that's what I meant. Wild pitches, not walks. Uh you can't, you can't throw that ball. If you're burning, bro, you know, better than that. Right. Okay. That, that, that is, that is elementary. Even if the throw was on the money, that runner was safe at third base. And after that we gave up the two and then the wild pitches made it worse. And chip has, he is kind of a, a what you want to call it effectively wild type of guy. I think he's got great stuff. And I, I like that They keep trying to work him in because I think that he's going to be an asset down the road. The kid's good, but again, situational awareness. Where maybe Chip is not the best candidate when you've got runners in scoring position because he is wild. You know what I mean? And I know you look. I know that you trust Drake. I do too. I love him. I said it before. He's my favorite catcher here since Stern. At the same time, situational awareness. The, he leads the team in wild pitches. We got a full pin. Go get Nelly. Nelly walks people, but he doesn't throw the ball in the dirt.
1: Where the hell has Dane Dixon been? Well, Dane pitched on Sunday. Okay, yeah. did he? Uh, yeah, I, he I pitched, pitched well on Sunday. I must have missed that.
2: Where's I got one? Even I'm going to one up you on this one, Matt. Where's Connor Angel?
3: Look, I don't. I don't look. Well, it's hard to say what I'm about to say without sounding bad, but the kid's got the yips. Okay, he's got the go. Go watch practice. He cannot throw a pitch out. I saw that kid throw a pitch out in the dugout. Connor Angel is not not an option for this baseball team. So y'all can write him off. And I'm sorry if his parents listen. I I really am. I'm just telling the truth. That's what we do here. This is why you guys turn this podcast on. Because you want to hear the truth. That's the truth. He's not an option. His confidence is in the tank. They gave up on him. The kid barely wants to be in practice. It is what it is.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't disagree. Um, it, it's just it's troubling when you see the same guys who really just aren't pitching up to par, and then you've got guys like Blake Marshall or Austin Bradford who who come in who come in in limited n- number of innings pitch very well in those limited number of innings, but then you don't see him for like three weeks.
3: Yeah. Big shout out to Austin Bradford. It's, it's, he pitched well of, in some like, sticky situations last night.
1: It, it's kind of, it's kind of like what, you know, why, you know, Dex Deg spent the entire preseason talking about how we're 15 deep in the bullpen, but yet we only use about seven guys.
3: Now, I got another one for you. How about, uh, how about Hayden Dirt? Give him an
1: inning. Yeah, where the shit has he been? I it just there's so there's <laughs> so no evil, see no evil. There are so many questions that just aren't getting answered.
2: Well, Dane is a prime example the other day. I mean, you know, we I haven't heard that name all year. He goes into Little Rock and pitches pitches a has a great outing, you know, and and his last it goes it goes back to asking the question, like, where's this dude been, man? Like, we, we need these kind of performances. We need these type of outings on the mound right now.
3: Well, Jerry, look, look at Blake Marshall, I mean, okay? Him, too. He's another one. He's a power lefty who we need out of the pen. Limited. And I, and I know why, and I won't say why, but he's been limited for a very stupid-ass reason, by the way. But he's been limited. When you start working him in, you're giving him two outs. You're giving him an inning and a half. I mean, he's shown what he can do. I want to keep saying them. Let's see him on a weekend. Give him two innings. Yeah. This two. this. And look, I, again, I know why it's a matchup issue. Matchup, he's playing right. Matchups and numbers and he's coaching off of a freaking sheet. I know that. How about we just abandon the sheet for a while? Let's just let's just watch dudes be dudes. Let's see what they got. We're, we're, we're on the stretch run now.
1: I'll, I'll tell you something if if there's one thing I know about this baseball team right now, we've got dudes. Oh yeah. We know we, no, we do got I, dudes.
3: We got and, dudes.
2: And you have a talent few is
3: not the issue with this baseball team. I will continue to say that.
2: Yeah. And you have a few guys that are kind of in a slump right now. You know, T Rob hasn't really been hitting up to par, you know, Bobby Ladey hasn't been hitting up the par, but they're still, there's still, they're still great hitters. You know, Rocco's on fire right now. Ozzy's on fire right now. Uh, Brennan Brothers on fire right now. Borgie's on fire right now. So you got some guys that are hitting the ball. But then, you know, even your T-Robs and your Ladeys, to me, they still need to be in the lineup some kind of way. Uh, you know, and, and, and not everybody's going to be able to start. Not everybody's going to be able to play. Somewhat, a prime example is Jonathan Brandon, right? Every time he goes in, he does something. But maybe there's somebody ahead of him that's that's doing a little bit better. You know, you asked the other day off the air, um, Matt, what do we do? What do we do with Brendan Bros' hot bat? Well, maybe sometimes, you know, position-wise, hitting-wise, maybe he's, you know, it's just unfortunate. But maybe, hey, maybe
3: as good as he is, you know, where Jay Bro was going to play third base for us last year before he got hurt. Yeah, just an yeah. interesting tidbit.
2: Well, another one is is Grizz. You know, Kevin Fitzgerald, great third baseman, but the poor guy can't make contact with the ball right now. Well, he at the same hit
3: time. He hit 400 in the fall, hitting the ball over the wall. He, they, listen, every guy I've talked to said, we thought Kevin Fitzgerald was going to be a, an All-American for us.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and so, but, but again, he hasn't really had the opportunity. Like, he's had the opportunity early in the season, but he starts off in the slump. I mean, look, I'll give you a prime example. One name that sticks out to me, this was in 2016, Stephen Trosclair, Stephen Trosclair in 2015, his hit got us into a regional, got us into that room with that grand slam in the, in the Sunbelt Conference. He started the 26 se- 2016 season, like one for 25. And we kept him in the lineup and he ended up having a great year. He got drafted. I mean, the JT he, he, effect. He ended up staying in the lineup. We gave him, you know, we had faith in him. And, and as the season went on, he got better. And I want to say he became an uh, all-conference that year in well, spite of starting Charles off Claire, one in 25. Charles Claire
1: was an All-American.
2: Yeah, I was starting one for 25. Yeah, so, Charles
1: Clear was a freaking All-American.
2: You know, it comes in cycles. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. Why it hasn't been hitting, hitting the ball this year? Hitting comes with repetition. And I was, Th- was that, going to say my, that. That's my I,
1: point. That's my point earlier. I brought up with Brennan Bro. You know, he he's a guy that he he's got a. He might be one of the best hitters on the team when you let him get into a rhythm. But he can't. Well, get he's got in, the seniority he too. He can't get in a rhythm when he's playing one game a week.
2: And he's got the seniority with him too. I mean, you've got a guy that. You know, played at LSU. Dude, he's the got kid, five the kid or six played, years. The
1: kid played at freaking LSU. You
2: know? And 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 he's got the seniority and, sat, and and his presence is is huge just he, by being there.
1: He sat in a dugout in Omaha in the college world series final next to oh God, what's that guy? Alex freaking Bregman. <laughs> Are so, you kidding so, me?
2: I, I do think I do think that like you guys are talking about with the consistency. Sometimes you got to let the guy struggle and, and, and work their way back in. And sometimes you need a break. Sometimes, hey, you, need to, and you, need sometimes a
3: you need to let them walk up to the plate and have that bat instead of making them look in the dugout and go slash bunt take. These guys are here because you asked them to come here. You recruited them to this program. They are here because they were studs in Juco or high school. Maybe let them hit just an idea.
2: Well, I think some of these guys, um, you know, like right now, I know uh, T-Rob is struggling a little bit and he's, and, and, and they have, look, the playbook's out on him right now, throw him a breaking ball. He's going to swing at it every time. And, and, you know, things like that you just have to adjust to. And I know some of these guys can adjust to, but at the same time, that doesn't mean take him out of the lineup, keep him in the lineup. I mean, you can, first of all, he's a great center fielder, but secondly, batters like that are going to adjust. They're going to, to get back into their groove. And that's why when even guys like Bobby LeDay, Bobby LeDay was on a roll for a good couple of weeks, almost a month. He was just hitting, 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 hitting home runs, line drives, hard outs. Put him in second base and keep him in the lineup. You know, why take him out? Why take him out?
3: I mean, and it was a perfect time because he was hitting, you know, mediocre to poor pitching, but sometimes that's all you need to get your confidence going and then you know, obviously with all the defensive changes, he started missing time and a lot of this stuff is because, look, he said shortstop making boneheaded errors that just cannot yeah. happen. Um, I, I don't know, man. Look, I think the overarching point, you know, feeling we're trying to make is that we need some consistency somewhere. We need some consistency in the dugout. We need some consistency in the lineup. We need some consistency in the program. And I don't think anybody feels like that right now. Hell, our well, pitching staff doesn't even know when the hell they're starting.
2: I mean, and it's like it's like we talked about at fourteen. Sorry to cut you off, Josh, but starting lineup Friday night was Ott, Saturday was baronic, Sunday was Booty, and then before Booty came in, you know, before Milhorn got hurt, so we all it was, it was either Ott, Baranek, uh Milhorn, and then after Milhorn got hurt, it was Booty, and it stayed that way until well, the last you, game in the super regional. Then
3: well, you had Greg you know? in the midweek, so.
2: And then and then yeah, you had Greg in the midweek. but then then the lineup, like I said earlier you still, you know, Trehan was usually batting first or second along with Ryan Leonard's. Then you had, um, you had, you had into the top five and that wasn't in order, but you had Jace, you had Caleb Adams, and then you had, or you had Shug that rotated in, thir- in the third hole. And then you had you had strengths, you had Harry and then down the line, you know, um, and, and that's, and then you had Dylan Butler, sixth or seventh. So
3: again, well, and, and I'll say this when you I knew the lineup when you got seven draftees in the lineup, it's kind of easy to set the lineup. So I mean.
2: it is, but at the same time, it was consistent. You're not, you know, if, if you would switch that lineup every yeah. other day those, outside those guys, of the midweek, you know, we knew where each guy was, was at. We knew Jace was batting second. We knew Caleb Adams or, or Sug would bat third. We knew strengths or Harry was cleanup. We knew Compton was fifth. We knew, we knew that, that, that Leonard's or Trahan was first or second. Like, we knew where those guys were in the lineup. Those, now, guys, granted,
1: those guys became draftees because they were able to hit in a
2: consistent lineup. That I think and that they were stupid with.
3: talented. And
2: they were good. But now were stupid there. Talented. There I agree. But there's consistency there. There's consistency there. And I think that's – and again, with the pitching rotation, same thing. Again, on Friday night, Baranek was always Saturday, and then you had either Millhorn or Booty on Sunday. But you knew – they knew going into the game, okay, this is where I'm going to be. This is where yeah, – this, cor- is, this is the day me. I'm pitching. Correct me. This is where –
1: Correct me if I'm wrong here. Our only set pitching spot is Friday night. Well, Saturday too. I'm glad you said that. Saturday. So
3: if you go back to, I'm a big, you know, timing guy, right? So if you go back and look at the schedule, all right, we're starting to get on a roll and, and granted we played a little bit of subpar competition, but we came off of TCU. We beat them on Friday and beat them pretty soundly. They kicked our ass on Saturday, but on Sunday, Carter did give a couple of runs up, but we were competitive throughout the game. We go yeah. to Coastal and smack them around like they deserved. Somebody said COVID Carolina, and I think that's my new favorite term. Uh, three out of four, we take for them pretty easily. We crush ULM, and then we beat Nichols in a pretty hard-fought game at home, and, and that was some good baseball. But you you felt like the team was starting to round off. Like We, we started to feel like maybe people were starting to feel, feel settled and roles were starting to be defined. We go into Arkansas State, who was on fire. We kicked their ass, and look, they can't pitch, but they can hit. Okay, Arigetti has his okay stuff. He beats them. I think he gave up two, two earned.
2: Still beat them, so we beat them ten to three. I mean, we we dominated well, that night. Well, in yeah, spite we beat Arigetti. Yeah. yeah,
3: exactly. We we hit the ball. Okay, and then we came in on Saturday, and Cook went ballistic, uh, <laughs> yeah. damn near threw a perfect a, a no hit game. Okay, we're rolling. Okay, we've got a seven or eight game win streak at this point. All right. We go into Sunday, and I know every single one of our fans, you guys included, heard the lineup, saw who we were starting, and said, Well, well what's going on here? What are, we, what are we doing here? Why are we emptying the bench? We have an opportunity to sweep it home. I mean, that's what I thought. We have an opportunity to sweep it home. We're on a roll. Guys are starting to feel themselves. What are we doing? They come out and they beat us 11 16, 11 216 at home. All right. We go to South Al little bit of unfortunate situation with the weather and then the doubleheader on the Monday, but they beat us soundly, good, solid baseball, pitching defense and timely hitting. They, they just beat us. And, and the most alarming thing is that they beat us soundly on Friday. Saturday was competitive, but we still, there was just something not there. I, I'm saying that's wrong. Game one was Sunday, Monday morning, they beat us. And then Monday afternoon, it was like, we slept Walked through that game. That was disappointing. We were ready to come home. We were ready to come home. We come home, and we beat McNeese in a game that we should not have struggled in, but we, you know, give them credit, all right? He came came, back and won. They had to come back to win, and they did it. And and some very uh, uh, timely plays and timely hits in that game, that was a good game to watch and good for the guys. But then you go back on the road and you lose two out of three against a team you should have, in my opinion, at least taken two out of three. I mean, look, you're an error away from doing that, even playing the way we did. But what I'm trying to say is that we've gone two and six since that Arkansas state, uh, what the hell do you even call that? What he did on Sunday, on that Sunday, since that shit happened, you you just two and six speaks for itself against, I mean, if you look at the schedule teams that you think you should have at least competed with
2: for a series win. I was more disappointed in the, the, not only the lineup, but I was more disappointed. Why are we starting Chipper Menard when you have Austin parent and, 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 and Carter Robertson. Well, Jerry, to if, you want to start Chip,
3: if you want to start Chip, I understand trying to find out what you have in Chip, okay? Because they think he's a starter.
2: But on a Sunday? On
3: a Sunday, and I'm fine with that. But you don't empty the bench, in my opinion, and start Chip. Put your best hitting lineup in there to, to support your young freshman. Yeah. Or start Dirk or start Carter and then empty the bench. you understand what I'm saying? Like, you can't right. go in with one hand tied behind your back on the mound and in the lineup.
2: Right. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, ever since that game, like you said, things have Bench has been thrown off, man. And then, of course, the weekend series at South Al, uh, everything kind of got thrown off with the schedule. But also, too, we just, it was just an odd, 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 odd weekend. Um, and it doesn't help that you get swept. But, momentum, uh,
3: momentum is real. It's a real if you notice, thing in the baseball. Arcan-
2: but Arkansas State, dude, I'll, I'll even go back further. I'll say Saturday when Connor Cook almost could have gotten that no-hitter, he gave up a hit at third base. Who was playing at third base? Hell, I don't remember. Borgie. Borgie was at third. The ball went through his glove. But again, it goes back to what I was saying, and that's not a knock on Borgie by any stretch. I mean, Borgie's a great player, but why, why, why is he at third base? I think at I that point, they were it.
3: trying to work him into the lineup. I think that was one of the very first games he actually started at third, if I'm remembering that correctly.
2: But again, why not play him at shortstop? <laughs> I know I keep going back to that, but, yeah. I, you know. If I, you go back
3: I, and I, listen to the previews, and I want to say it was, uh, I think, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to speculate, but it was one of the previews. Someone outside of the program was talking about Borgie being your starting second baseman. So Borgie he has gone from preseason, second baseman to third. Now back to his natural position at short. Right. And again, the, look, the numbers speak for themselves. When he's at third, we play better defense. I'm sorry. When he's at short, we play better defense. When he's at third, we tend to make errors.
2: Again, I still think personally as a fan, I think Lade and Borgie, whether they either one of them play either or shortstop or second base one of those guys should be in one of those positions. I don't think they should be necessarily moved anywhere else because, look, if Leday's Lade, having a bad game at short where he's bobbling balls like he did against South Al, move him to second base like Borgie plays short and vice versa. But, you know, we haven't seen, knock on wood, we haven't seen Borgie make many mistakes at shortstop. Because he's a guy, go- he's a
3: goddamn shortstop. Look, Leday is good and he's a, he he's talented, naturally talented, but he's not ready to play shortstop at the D1 level just yet. His IQ is not quite there. His baseball IQ, not his IQ. His right. baseball IQ is not quite there yet. He 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 it's like he gets lost in the moment from time to time. Um, whether it be hitting the cutoff man, being in the right position, you know, charging the bag. Um you know, sometimes he sits back on the ball when he should charge. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things. And I, I don't want to kill Bobby Leday because I really like him. I like him at the plate. I think his discipline was better earlier on in the season. Lately, it seems like he's kind of fishing. And yeah. again, that's a product. Okay, that's a byproduct of if I'm going to stay in this lineup, I better kick the door down when I have the opportunity. Because if I don't, I'm going to be sitting on the bench. So I'm going to go out and <laughs> fish for every damn ball I think I can get to.
2: And that's a real thing. The pressure. Yeah, you're saying the pressure's getting to him.
3: Well, they press because they think yeah. that if, if I go O for three today, I'm not gonna play tomorrow.
2: Right. Yeah, well, sometimes you gotta put him in the like I said, put them in the meat grinder, let him struggle. Let him struggle. Now, if you go O for twenty five uh, at bat, maybe you sit out for a little bit, that's fine. I think that's what day went through. But that doesn't mean he should be kept out permanently. He needs we need him. We need him. Well the he, he said
3: because he was bottling balls a shortstop, mostly. You know, right. K- Kimple's in the middle of it right now and he's going to bust loose, but
2: so is, T-Rob. So is Robinson's T Rob. Tyler Roberts going through the same thing. You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's not having happen. his best. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think right now you just, you know, at a time like this, look, we're in a stretch where really the, the schedule has eased up a little bit and yet it seems like the, the results s- have gotten worse. That's schedule, what makes it so frustrating.
1: The schedule only gets easier from here on out. It yeah, only correct. gets easier. I mean, God, North Alabama. Are, dude, do you, I, I'm going to put it to you like this. Their RPI is so low. No matter how poorly we're playing, it is going to hurt us to play that series.
3: Yeah, they're the St. Peter's of uh, 2021.
1: We, That's need, true. I, yeah. we, we, we need hell and high water to come to Lafayette next weekend.
3: But guys, look... and. It's, it's not, it, we are our biggest enemy right now. The opponent is us. We have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. It doesn't play, it doesn't matter if we play Vanderbilt or we play North Alabama. What we're doing right now, the way that we're approaching the games is the problem. It's not the talent. It's not the, 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 the slumps. It's the way that we're managing our team. And I will continue to say that on any podcast, radio show, et cetera. The problem is not the guys. The problem is the guys coaching the damn guys.
2: Well, we're going to find out this weekend. We,
3: we haven't pulled out the disclaimer in a while. I guess I should say it. Uh, my opinions are my own. I, I don't represent <laughs> Razor Review
0: in any way. Uh, <laughs> there you we know. go.
2: Well, look, I, we I go. Think this weekend, this weekend, in spite of what happened against ULM the other night, this weekend's going to tell the tale. We're playing a team right now that's pretty good, but yet the record doesn't indicate it. They're a lot better than what the record shows um, in Texas State. Um, you know, they swept us two years ago. So last time we played them, we went over 3 And um, they're coming to Lafayette. They have their backs against the wall just like we do. And so we're going to find out whether it's the lineup, whether it's the pitching staff, whether it's anything else. We're going to find out aren't how how we fare against this three-game three series. are you so tired of saying that?
1: We've been saying that shit for a month now. Uh, this, true. Is, this is it the is game true. that's going to tell us we're 40 games in. We should know that already.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, last night when, when, when Coach Dags talks about touching the pot and touching the stove, we're going we to see if those words we, ring we true. Be, I mean, we should
1: be sitting here going, damn, if we can win three more games, we've got to buy in the conference tournament. But no, right, right now we're sitting here going, God, are we going to make the conference tournament?
3: Well, everybody makes it this year, but you're right. We have got to get a top three seed. We've got to get a top three seed because the way that the tournament is set up this year, it's set up for your, well, really it's the top two seeds in each pod. They have the, the upper hand, you know, that that's just the way it goes. And that's the way it should be, in my opinion. You know, you want to get your best teams into the conference final because whoever wins the conference, you want them to represent the conference in the dance as best as possible. I mean, you want your best opportunity to win. So I like the way that it's set up. But but no, guys, we we have got to we've got to win this series. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If we have any glimmer of hope to reach a regional and I think we can if we let our hitters hit if we let our hitters hit we let our pitchers pitch and we put guys in the defensive position that they can succeed and they are comfortable I mean how long how many times do we got to do this before you know common sense takes over
1: yeah I mean you're not you're not wrong I think I, I rarely am, Matt. I rarely am. <laughs> that, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: been the biggest, but that, but what you just said has been the biggest question marks amongst the fans. You know, again, we have eyes. I'm, you know, we're not coaches. We don't, you know, we're not on the payroll to uh, make decisions on the team, on the roster, in the dugout, but we have eyes. And what we saw, what I saw last night towards the end, I'm just sitting here going, what, what's going on here? And, and look, and,
3: and I would say this about what you just said, okay? We exist because we care about the team and the program. Anybody that's going to push back on a conversation about what the hell's going on on the field, you can kick rocks because we care. You think there's a podcast about baseball on a, on a midweek game in Little Rock? There isn't. Okay, you, <laughs> right. This is why. This is why it's so great. So, I we don't have to be qualified you know, D one coaches to have a damn opinion on what we're watching. We pay good money to go watch the games. We, we, we invest our time and our effort to travel with the team and watch them on the road. We watch them on TV. We take time out of our Saturdays and Sundays to follow the guys and we're invested. And that's what you want in a program. If 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 somebody's upset that we have an, an opinion on a podcast, well, they just don't get what this is all about. This is all about coming together and supporting a program. So, Please, please, you know, hey, if you don't like what we had to say, that's just fine. But there's no reason to attack.
2: Well, also, too, I mean, it goes to show you that we care. And, and um, you know, if you, if you didn't care, you didn't talk about it. If you really have apathy where people don't even know you have a game. And look, I mean, I'm going to say it. We have that in certain sports here at the university right now where people just don't care. They just don't Ooh. care. They don't know when we're playing. They don't know what's going on because it's just people are just throwing their hands up and said, you know what? I give up. And so, at least here, um, you know, yes, we're critical. Yes, we wonder, we wonder why certain things are happening the way they are. But at the same time, you know, there's a reason why we're also in eighth place in attendance every year. You know, to go watch, to go watch this team. So, nationally, 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 exactly. So,
1: a, a very heated morning here on Region Review. But before <laughs> we go to break, you know, I'm, I'm looking at d1baseball.com, and you know, in college baseball, they're kind of the the go-to source, if you will. Um, I'm looking at their projected field of 64 and after our little two and seven skid over the last nine games, we're nowhere to be seen, but you know who else isn't in the picture? South Al purple and puke down the road. Oh yeah. They said, uh,
2: no, they're, they're, no yes, South, South
1: Al's in South. Al's was a three seed According to them. Yeah. And, I was, I was
2: being a
3: smart ass. No, they're good.
1: No. South Al is going to be, according to them is a three seed in Knoxville.
3: They're good. Oof. They're going to be tough.
1: With, uh, with Tennessee. We'll take a break here on Rage and Review. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Brant Freeman, ESPN Plus play-by-play broadcaster for Texas State. He's going to take us behind enemy lines to go over this weekend series with the Bobcats of Texas State. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Rage and Review. Keep the faith.
0: Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Ranging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337 851 RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white go cajuns Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind. Utilizing a combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solution Specialist, Anna Bourgeois.
2: Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solution Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about.
0: Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at vaulted security dot com.
1: Back to Rage interview, Matt Miguez here. You know, we, we got a lot into the game last night with ULM in the first segment. Now we're going to look forward to this weekend, weekend series with Texas State at the Teague. Jerry Bear with me as he always is. And our very special guest today, Mr. Brant Freeman. He is the ESPN Plus broadcaster for Texas State. He'll be making the trip to Lafayette this weekend. Brant, how are you doing today, man? Uh, doing good, Matt
4: and Gerald. Uh, Thanks for having me on today, guys.
1: No, absolutely. You know, Texas State, and, and I'm, I'm not playing favorites here when I say this, Texas State is probably one of my favorite schools in the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, San Marcos, you know, is just a beautiful area right there in Central Texas. And then, you know, I've always, I've always respected the way that y'all have done things. In San Marcos, you know, you, even in years when it seemed like athletics were were at a low, you guys were always competitive. You always gave it everything you had, and you know, as a as a former um, as as an athlete myself, when I was when I was younger, you know, I, I I've always appreciated a team that can just get out and compete. So, uh, like I said, really enjoy following you guys. I'm really gonna enjoy this this weekend series. Brant, let's start this interview simply by you just giving our listeners a little bit of a background on yourself. Sure, so
4: um, I'm actually a Texas State graduate, graduated from the university back in 2006. Um, I actually got started in the broadcasting end of things while I was a student there. Um, For a while, the campus station was the exclusive home for athletics, and it actually gave me uh, an opportunity to get involved while I was earning my degree. Um, and I was fortunate enough that once I graduated, the, the uh, athletic department wanted to, to keep me around. So um, really kind of got things going primarily with football. Um, <clears throat> but I've uh, been heavily involved with, uh, with uh, baseball really since Texas State joined the Sun Belt back in 2014. That was the first baseball year. And uh, um, primarily my, my background is in, has been in radio. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, when the interview started, I've kind of transitioned more to the TV side doing a lot of the ESPN plus broadcast here. So really any home events that happens, uh, along any of the major sports, I'm on the call for that. Uh, so I've been around doing stuff there for now about 18 years, you know, going back to my, my time as a student, proud alum and, um, you know, really enjoy what I, what I get
0: to do.
2: So Brian, with your, uh, experience, um, with ESPN and, and, and your, your experience and, and really your background with Texas state, you know, even when you were in school before Texas state joined the Sun Belt that, uh, the, the, the Bobcats would face Louisiana in baseball a few times. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few times back in 2002, 2003, 2004, uh, where they would play some weekend series, and they would e- even face each other in a, b- a few midweek games, if I remember correctly. Um, based on your experience uh, covering Texas State athletics, uh, especially in baseball, what is what are your uh, initial thoughts on Louisiana baseball? Uh, since they go so far back uh, in the series, I know now every time they face each other, it seems like there's always a really, really interesting game or two in the weekend series between the two schools, always in the top echelon of the Sunbelt Western Division. What, what are your what are your thoughts and perceptions of, of, of your experiences covering uh, Texas State when they play Louisiana?
4: Well, I go back to 2014, Texas State's first baseball season, and that was arguably the best Raging Cajun team since 2000. Um, you know, they were ranked number one in the country that year going into the tournament. I remember Texas State went went into Lafayette and actually stole a game uh, on a Saturday, but Louisiana won the series two to one. The two met that year in Mobile in the tournament, and Louisiana beat Texas State twice. And they met again in the tournament at Troy in '15. Texas State beat the Cajuns in the first game, and Louisiana came all the way back to the losers' bracket, faced the Bobcats that Saturday, having to win twice. They won twice. On the winning the Sunbelt title that year, they beat South Alabama in a memorable championship game at Troy. They met in 16 in San Marcos in the tournament, Louisiana, both teams were in the winner's bracket. The Cajuns beat the Bobcats who were later eliminated that day. Um, and they met each other in 18 in Lafayette. And then Texas state got some payback, finally eliminating the Cajuns um, in a run rule um, in 18 in Lafayette. So there's been a lot of, Postseason history with the two, with the two in the short time Texas State has been in the Sun Belt, um, the environments have been great. Whether they've been in San Marcos, certainly in Lafayette. Um, so, what I've learned about Louisiana, uh, you know, baseball is just how uh, one, just how good the program is. He obviously, you know, Tony Robichaux uh, built a tremendous program there. So tragic his passing um, in the summer of uh of 2019 i know our head coach at the time ty harrington was pretty broken up about it and attended the funeral and it's had nothing but great things to say about about coach robe and and um that's continued on through matt daggs he, he certainly had tough circumstances to take over the job but has done a, an admirable job you know uh in doing so and um so great program tremendous fan base Phenomenal ballpark, especially since the renovations a couple of years ago. Um, great environments, you know. So, um, you know, I'm not sure there's a, another Sunbelt series I get up for more than the ones against Lafayette. And it's all respectful. It's not a, uh, a series or rivalry that's bitter or the two teams don't like each other, at least not, not from my perspective. Maybe you ask the players, they will tell you different, but um, – I really enjoyed uh, getting to follow Cajun baseball closer since Texas State joined the Sun Belt seven years ago.
1: Well, you know, Brant, from a, from a player's perspective, the weekend that you're playing, you know, whatever team, you know, in this example, the Cajuns playing Texas State, Friday through Sunday, they're not going to like each other. But Sunday afternoon when the last game ends, you know, there, there's definitely a level of friendship throughout every, every school in the Sun Belt. And you know, talking talking about Texas State last year, obviously with the with the pandemic ending everything. What was it? Seventeen games into the year, seventeen, eighteen games, something like that. Uh, you know, the Cajuns were eight and nine. We're finally starting to get hot last year because we we started out two and nine, and then we were riding right that six game win streak before the pandemic. You know, cut everything short. So uh, from a Texas State perspective, how was? How was the 2020 season, the shortened season for you guys? It was one
4: transition. I mentioned Ty Harrington, and after the 19-year, I saw Texas State win the Sunbelts' regular season title. Um, they had a, a great year that year. Their entire weekend rotation got drafted. Um, they had the Sunbelt pitcher of the year in Connor Reich. Um, that was year 20 for Ty Harrington, and then he hung them up. Um, and his assistant coach, uh, Steve Trout, who had been with him for about four years as an, as an assistant, took over as the head coach. And obviously, you know, he had big shoes to fill in 2020. And the team was like the Cajuns playing really well before the doors closed on 2020. They were 14 and four. Uh, they had run ruled Baylor, uh, a ranked Baylor team in Waco not long before the, the, the pandemic ended things. They had just... Won a, won a pair of uh, midweek games, so Tuesday Wednesday, back-to-back set against UTSA and uh, Prairie View a They were getting ready for, I think, the first Sunbelt Series of the year, I want to say, against App, uh that weekend. And they felt really good about where they were headed. And it was because they were playing so well uh, and coming off the championship year the year prior that they were picked to win the West again this year. Um, they, were, they were getting some votes in the top 25. I think they came into the season ranked 30th. So um, they were playing extremely well. You know, in uh, 2020, the, the team was healthy. Uh, they had some guys who were swinging the bat really well. Pitching was solid. So um, it was unfortunate not to see the season come to a conclusion because you, you can't help but wonder what may have been.
2: Yeah, we definitely understand that down here in Lafayette. We, um, we had won, I believe, a six out of seven. I think we had won six out of seven um <laughs> going into that that final that final weekend of the 2020 season that shortened uh season we had coastal that weekend and uh, we were catching fire at the right time uh, so we definitely understand where you're coming from, but Brian, you know, you you said that you graduated from Texas State. Uh, I'm sure that re- university holds a dear place in your heart. Now you're officially an employee for the school. Uh, you've seen you've seen the transition. You know, they were one time the name they had a name change. They Southwest Texas State became Texas State. They were once time, one time in the Southland Conference. Now they're officially full members of the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, so you've seen the school really grow, uh, both as a university and as an athletic program. Talk about your experience at Texas State, uh, especially in uh, San Marcos, like Matt said, beautiful city, great college mm-hmm. town, lots to do. How, how has it been so far uh, down there? Well,
4: when I was a student, the very first semester I went there, um, it was Southwest Texas still. And then they had the name change, which actually was some, somewhat controversial. A lot of people uh, held the SWT name, uh, you know, near and dear to the heart. Um, but, you know, since then, the you know, the name Texas State has very much been embraced. It, it was extremely helpful. I don't think we would be where we are today, you know, in the Sun Belt without the name change. The, you know, I think you guys know this, having formerly been southwestern Louisiana, that the directional thing um, makes you seem smaller. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to have kind of a bigger name, you know, and for us, that name was Texas state. Um, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we were in the Southland for a number of years. So take you back a little bit further, you know, Texas state, um, was a division two program for a long time. And as a football program had a lot of success, they won back-to-back national championships uh, in 1981. In 1982, the head coach was Jim Wacker, um, who then used that success, took a job at Kansas State, and then furthered his coaching career, circled back, and became the AD at Texas State in the late 90s. I think his last year was 2001. And in 2000, he pushed for the move then to uh, what was then known as 1A, not FBS, and um, it didn't gain enough traction. But uh, a few years later in 2005, the, the football team, which had been pretty bad at the one AA level, finally made a run. They won the Southland title that year and they went to the one um, AA playoffs for the first time ever after having played football at that level for 20 years and uh, made it all the way to the national semifinals. And they were, you know, a play away from going to the national championship. And so that success was followed by a a repeat of sorts in 2008. They won another Southland title, went to the playoffs, didn't have as big of a run. But it was those two seasons that really kind of spearheaded the, you know, it's time to move up talk. Um, It felt like, you know, finally we found our place in football, which, as we all know, is kind of the doorstep for anything athletics, especially in the South. Um, And so it was uh, three years later, they announced that they were going to move up to FBS uh, football, and they were accepted into the WAC. Carl Benson was the commissioner at the time. And uh, so Texas State joined the WAC. And for football, it made a lot of sense. Uh, for the Olympic sports, it was strange. Um, you know, you're playing Seattle and Cal State Bakersfield and Utah State. So the travel was uh, atrocious, you know, that, that one year. And then the WAC football or, or football in the WAC uh, folded in 2012, um, after that year, in fact, funny fun trivia fact for you: the last ever whack football game until its coming rebirth of sorts in the FCS was won by Texas State. Uh, they beat New Mexico State in the final whack game, 66 to 28. Anyways, um, so after the after football went away, we were without a home. Where are we going to go now? Well, as we all know, Carl Benson left the WAC, took over the Sun Belt. There was a pre-existing relationship there. He wanted to expand the geographical footprint of the Sun Belt into Texas, especially after they had lost uh, UNT, you know, from the Sun Belt. And and so us and UTA came on board. Um, And uh, so again, I kind of go back to to the uh, success of the um, uh, late years of FCS football. And I also go back to Jim Wacker's, uh, uh, everything that he did, you know, as a coach back in the division two era and later as athletic director, kind of starting the conversation to uh, move up to FBS. And so that that's kind of the story, you know, of athletics here over the past, I guess, now 40 years and, and how it is we've got to where we are today.
2: I think what's interesting is that, I, I, I mean, look, down here in, in Louisiana, we follow Southland football just as much as Sunbelt, SEC, um, because it's, it's right in front of us. Um, mm. And a lot of times, you know, even in baseball and basketball, whether it's non-conference or midweek games, we'll play Southland schools. <laughs> um, I think my initial reaction when Texas State decided to join the Sunbelt from the Southland was I was very impressed. Um, I think the only team that had really made a jump up in the span of 20 or so years was Troy. Troy used to be a, uh, a dominant force in the late 1990s when uh, Larry Blakeney was the head football coach, and then they made the jump up to 1A mm-hmm. to the Sun Belt. But then when Texas State did it, it kind of threw, threw me off personally because I never would have thought Texas State was uh, not necessarily not saying they weren't some type of dominant team or anything like that like Troy, but uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, when Texas State made that jump, but then you look at the demographics, you look at what San Marcos has to offer, you look at the money that's involved, and you realize, okay, they 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 definitely have everything it takes to move up. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a very it's a very gutsy move when you do something like that. And, and I think Texas State has done a fantastic job maintaining uh, that ability to be able to, to stay. Because, like I said, I, I as fans as Cajun fans, you know, we do. You know, we, we know a little bit about the Southland, and um, mm-hmm. I, it's it was impressive. I thought it was a very impressive move by Texas State to take that risk, and, and, and it's it's become successful.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, uh, we've been in the Boobas Cup top three, I think, every year the last four or five years. We won it a couple of years ago. I think we're sitting third in the standings right now. You look at all the sports, and, you know, volleyball has won – four Sunbelt championships. Softball has won two. Baseball has won one. Our men's basketball team hasn't won it, well, they won their first regular season title this year and, and they've been a very good program. You know, the, the women's basketball team went to the title game not long ago. Our track and field teams have been dominant in the Sunbelt. Um so we very much belong. The the one sport that we've yet to really get going is probably the most important. And that's football. Um, now the first couple of years was pretty good. Um, specifically in 2014, uh, that year that, uh, that team went seven and five, they were very much eligible, but didn't get that invite. Um, and they really, I think they're still feeling the, the ramifications of that to this day. Um, you know, they have, they have clearly struggled and, um, you know, that's one sport that we need to get going, but we've proven that this, uh, football program can, can be a winner. Um, great facilities, great location, you know, obviously, football in Texas has a rich tradition. Uh, the fan bases are very passionate and engaged, and the high school football scene here is, is very good. Uh, it feels like it's a matter of when, not if, for football at Texas State. I believe they currently have the right coach to do that, and Jake Sabatall. No, he's he's good. He's he's the real deal. Yeah, you know, and and uh, he kind of inherited a, a rough situation, so. You know, instant success wasn't seen in, in this past year. You know, it was only a two and ten year for them. But obviously, this was a very weird year in 2020. They kind of loaded the schedule as well, you know, playing teams like, uh, you know, like BYU and Boston College and, and non-conference and, and um, you know, uh, and, and a very good SMU team in the opener. So. Um, but, but yes, you know, I think that uh, the move to the Sun Belt has very much been successful and it's a great home, you know, for Texas State. Many people were wondering why they, 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 the, they didn't go to Conference USA. Not that it was available to them, not that I'm aware of, but, you know, there's more Texas teams, especially those that play football and see USA. Um, but I like where we are in the Sun Belt, you know. Um, it, it's kind of interesting being a team on an island when it comes to football in the conference. Uh, you know, but with that, they've been able to you know kind of establish some uh, rivalries with uh, other teams in the western part of the conference, like like Louisiana and, and ULM and Arkansas State, and they've had really good games against South Alabama you know, over the years. And, and obviously, it's a very good football conference. You know, we saw just how good the Cajuns and Coastal Carolina you know were this past year, and that tells you just how good this conference can be. And it's proven to be in the bowl season one of, uh, if not the best, group of five conference, you know, over the past three or four years or so. So uh, I, I like where Texas State is right now in the Sun Belt.
1: Yeah, you know, one uh, we started talking about football, and one thing I wanted to bring up, and you you brought it up for me, was, was Jake mm-hmm. and and just the way that he's kind of taken, like you said, a very unfortunate situation. And he has slowly started to put the Texas State football program on the right track because you said, mm-hmm. you know, last year, two and ten, when you look at their schedule and, you know, as a football guy like I am, you sit there and I i, I might have missed two Texas State games last year. I, I watched a good bit of just about all of them. You guys really should have won about five or six games. Yeah. I mean, the SMU game probably should have been a win. Y'all definitely should have won the Boston College game. Y'all could have won the BYU game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right there, you're five and seven. Yeah. So, so. You know, you say that, you know, they were 2-10, but it was a much better football team than a 2-10 record indicates.
4: Yeah, agreed. You know, they also uh, had a game against UTSA, which has uh, it's been Texas State's rival. You know, UTSA hasn't been playing football for long, um, but the proximity between the two schools and their history against one another um, over the years in the Southland and the Olympic sports, namely men's basketball, has led to quite a rivalry between the two. I, I mentioned how... Respectful, the rivalries are with Texas State the Sun Belt, with Louisiana, even UTA. It is not that way with UTSA. We do not like each other, bottom line. Um, and uh, Texas State nearly came back from a, what was an 18 point deficit, or something like that, and uh, got a pump return, touchdown from Jeremiah Haydell with about a minute to go to tie the game. All they had to do was make the extra point, missed it. Um, you know, I don't yeah, I'm sure a lot of Cajun fans or Saints fans kinda remind me a little bit of that um, lateral play the Saints had against the the Jaguars a number of years ago in the final game that year. The-
2: the River City Miracle, yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, oh, and, and, we we know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it John Carney that missed the kick? And,
2: John Carney hooked it right, yeah.
4: Yeah, so it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. <laughs> the State lost the game in overtime. You know, that was another game they should have won. They were right there at Georgia Southern this year, too. So you're right. Texas State was better than the 2-10 record showed. And, you know, hopefully uh, Jake Spavadol can get some things going here in 2021. They feel good about the recruiting class, although you know, it was almost primarily um, transfers, almost no high school signees, um, but a lot of talent back from last year, and you know, he's really put his stamp on this team from an offensive standpoint. So, um, you know, hopefully bigger things are, are ahead for them, and, and hopefully soon.
1: You know, before before we get back to baseball, you brought up UTSA's football team this year. They gave us all we could handle in the in the mm-hmm. first responder bowl this year. But uh, you know, let, let's get back to baseball here. Thank you for beating them, by the way. Oh, absolutely. You, oh, it was a were, pleasure. You were very welcome.
2: It, it was a pleasure.
1: Uh, you were very welcome. Those uniforms were hideous. Um, so obviously, you know, like you said, 2021 for Texas State Baseball, they were, they were projected to win the East. I mean, in, win the West, excuse me. And they were, mm-hmm. they were borderline top, 20, uh, top 25 program. Outside of the program, you know, I, I know you're kind of the gray area between the fan base and the program itself. Talk, mm-hmm. talk about what expectations were coming into this year, and so far, how have they played out for you guys? Well, the expectations
4: were high and for good reason. You know, again, as, as I said, they were playing really well when the, when the season shut down last year, and, and they'd won the title the year before. And you know, a lot of the, the preseason polls are based on, you know, previous season success. Um, And a lot of the guys elected to come back. They only lost, I think one or two seniors um, from 2020 and uh, the guys that elected to return were playing really well. Um, And so I think with, uh, you know, with all the the veterans back and a deeper roster, Texas State has 47 players, which I think is the eighth largest roster in the country. They feel good about their depth. And, and um, uh, so thought things were going to go pretty well in 2021, but as, a, as the record indicates, 17 and 25, they have vastly uh, underperformed uh, here in uh, the 21 season. It's it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. You know, it could be a lot of things. Um, you know, the, the pitching hasn't been great. Uh, they have kind of juggled the starting ro- week, the weekend rotation all year long. Um the lineup, uh, there have been a ton of injuries, but the biggest one was probably to the most important player, John Wetheridge. Um I remember it was opening weekend against BYU, the final game of a four-game series. And we were given the lineup about an hour out. He was in it. And then about uh, 40 minutes later, they come running in with a new lineup, and he's out of it. And there wasn't a case where they were taking bp between you know uh those lineup handoffs or taking infield i think something just didn't feel right and it was his hand um <clears throat> i believe it was his glove hand his non-throwing hand and um he wouldn't play again until this past friday so 35 games missed and because of that kind of your heart and soul the lineup wasn't available um, you don't you don't want to you don't want to think that one guy makes a lineup of nine of nine in any game, but he really is a difference maker for them. And as a result, he's also an outfielder. So Texas State, you know, is kind of cycled in through their outfield trying to find a combo that works and and a lineup combo that works. And uh, by the time that he had finally played again, they had gone through thirty seven different lineups in thirty eight games. Um, just had a hard time finding consistency. Um, a lot of the guys that elected to come back, or at least some of them, uh, are having down years. And, you know, Jackson Williams, the second base, was first team all sunbelt in that championship year in 19. And he's hitting about 200 right now. Um, Will Hollis, um, who was second to the conference in doubles in 2019 and was hitting over 320 last year, is hitting about 240 right now. Wes Faison, who was on a tear uh, in the short year last year, OPS over a thousand. Um, he's not even hitting his weight right now. I think like a, a buck 70, you know, at, at the time that we talk here. And um, so was, you know, some of the guys you thought were gonna be hitting well haven't. Um, and again, you know, the, with the pitching, they they have yet to find, you know, that that really good rotation. You know, Zach Lee has been their Friday guy all year long. He's either really good or really struggles, not much in between. And they've gone through different Saturday, Sunday guys all season long. So the inconsistencies in the lineup, uh, kind of not knowing what you're getting any given weekend from the pitching, not exactly having uh, a reliever that teams fear in the bullpen has led to eight games under 500.
2: So um, it's. I'm sure it's one of those seasons you just kind of throw your hands up and go, what on earth is going on? Um, You know, we've, we've been through a few seasons like that too. Um, And, and it's definitely when you have expectations, when you have a perception of being a really good program, you always expect to perform a certain way. And when you don't, uh, things kind of get off the rails a little bit. I'm sure, uh, you know, it's definitely, there's a lot of questions going on amongst fans. I mean, we're, we're dealing with it right now ourselves. Um, It's one of those situations where, for us, uh, you know, we've our lineups been been ticked with a little bit, um, and and because of that, there's been some inconsistencies amongst players, and then vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. the, the reason why the lineups have been moved around is because of the inconsistencies, So we can definitely relate to that. But Brant earlier this year, Texas State got to play in the Shriners Classic, uh, mm-hmm. which is a great classic. I mean, not only because of the experiences of playing at mini park, but you know, the the whole message of the of the Shriners Classic, you know, raising money for such a great charity. Um we we've played in it a few times ourselves. It's always a blast to go down to Houston for the weekend and play in a, a nice major league baseball park. But the Bobcats got to experience that this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you took one out of three you, you you lost to um Texas Tech as well as TCU, both ranked in the top 10 at the time. And then also you took a game against Rice. Talk about that experience. Um, how was it? How did the players uh, enjoy that experience and uh, just the overall vibe of getting to play in the Shriners Classic this season?
4: It was the second time they played in and out the last three years. They also played in it in 2019, uh, the one year they won the, the Sun Belt. And, um, you know, that year they won two of three and should have swept. They beat Rice in a great pitcher's duel. That day, um, your Nick Fraze pitched for Texas State and was named as the most outstanding player of the classic that year. Um, I think he went eight innings and gave up, you know, uh, didn't give up a run and maybe one, two hits and struck out. I think ten or eleven. Um, then they beat Houston and they were up on Baylor. Um, you know, in the ninth inning, couldn't hold on. You know, and then the experience this year was great. Uh, the competition was a little bit stiffer. You mentioned Tech and TCU. You know, two. Uh, top 25 teams right now. I think TCU is sixth and Texas tech is just outside the top 10. Um, And, you know, Texas state led the red Raiders in the seventh um, in the, in that game. They were never in it against TCU. They got run ruled, but paid them back a couple days later, Texas state run ruled TCU um, that Tuesday in San Marcos and, and they handled rice in the finale, as you said. So, the guys you get up, you know, for a tournament like that, um, you know, since the majority of the roster is from Texas, a lot of the guys are Astro fans or at least, you know, have grown up watching baseball, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, in Houston, and, and maybe have gone to Minute Maid Park when they were kids. So, you know, I know they had a lot of fun doing that. They also got a chance to play a Globe Light this year where the Rangers play. They beat San Houston uh, in a midweek game there earlier this season. So, um, you know, it was a great experience, as and as you said earlier, for a great cause as well. Um, you know, I will say that we were kind of going through the the issues the team has gone through this year. Some of that's been the competition. You know, uh, with the pandemic, it kind of altered the schedule this season. And so, Steve Trout, uh, after having lost some games against uh, teams like UTSA and other mid majors um, because of their conference limitation on scheduling. Uh, decided to schedule a bunch of power fives. I think Texas State, after the game last night against a has now played, I think, 11, 12 uh, power five uh, games this season, and they've only won two. So really, their record against non-P5, they're about a 500 team, you know, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. But when you play Texas twice, TCU twice, Texas Tech, a and twice, Oklahoma, a three-game series in Washington, yeah, well, you know, and then it's it's kind of tough to to keep up. And um, but you know, getting back to the Shriners College Classic, great experience, and uh, hopefully the Bobcats continue to get invited uh, more and more as the years go on.
1: You know, Brant, you you brought up how the how the Bobcats have played twelve Power Five games. You know, talking about that, you guys got wins over BYU, TCU, and Oklahoma this season. So obviously, you know, this, this team has has a way of of sort of stepping up to bigger competition. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of mentality does this team have? What's the identity of this program at the moment? That's an
4: interesting question, and one I'm not sure I have an answer for. And um, in terms of its identity, I think that's part of the problem. You know, uh, baseball is a very numbers-driven game, as you guys well know. And so the first thing that you do when looking at an opponent is look at the stats. You, you see a record and you want to know the story behind that. Why, why is it that they're really good? Why is it that they're really bad? Why is it that they're average? You look at Texas State stats, they don't really excel at anything, numbers-wise. Um, they draw a lot of walks. They lead the conference in walks drawn. Um, they're third of the conference in runs scored, but because of the walks, the numbers should be higher. Um, they're in the bottom tier in, in a lot of the pitching numbers. Um, although their, their strikeouts aren't bad, but ERA is up there. Um, you defensively they're solid, although they give up a lot of stolen bases. Um, and so I'm not sure what the identity is, you know, of of this year's team. Is it fast? Is it really good defensively? Is it power pitching? Is it slugging? The numbers really don't tell you either way, you know, on them right now. So I think even here we are in late April, they're still trying to find their identity. You know, you'd you like to have established that by the end of March, um, not this late in the season. So, you know, maybe they can discover what that is over the next four weeks setting into the Sunbelt tournament. But as of April 28th, uh, Matt, I, I couldn't tell you what that identity is.
1: Yeah, you know, similarly, Louisiana's having having a similar issue Um I think our loss to ULM last night made us 2-7 and seven in our last nine. Uh, obviously, <clears throat> last night wasn't considered a Belt Conference game, but, I mean, we played a conference opponent. It was a conference game. I mean, you, you can call it on schedule what it is. But, you know, so, so we're kind of struggling with, with the identity thing as well. One thing that I, I found was interesting, and this is kind of a, a two-part question, you know, this is a very young Texas state team. I was going over the roster and you guys only have nine guys that are either senior or graduate transfers. Mm-hmm. Um, so majority of your program is going to be returning. And also another thing that I found that was interesting looking at the roster, every player listed on the roster is from the state of Texas. So my, my, my two part question is how does the youth benefit the Bobcats for the future? And then from a recruiting standpoint, how are you able to convince or, or I, guess, I guess for lack of a better word, convince every player on your program to stay home instead of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's, it's very rare that you see a, a roster full of guys from your home state. So how, yeah. how is Texas State able to pull that off? Well, you know, like with
4: uh, high school football in Texas, you know, the baseball here is really big as well. Um, and so there's a lot of talent to pull from, and I think that Texas State. We, we mentioned identity earlier. You know, one thing this program has identified itself over the years has been one: that's Texas rich. Um, you know, they they don't really like going outside the borders, uh, the state borders to to mine talent. They feel like there's there's plenty to be had here. You know, in Texas. You know, some of the great players uh, they've had over the years that have gone on to play in the big leagues. Like Paul Goldschmidt, um, hail from Texas, and you know this. You know this too. Baseball, from when you're a little leaguer to you know college and beyond, mom and dad want to be there, right? And so I think that's an easy sell for these Texas kids. Is that mom and dad are within driving distance to come watch you play in San Marcus. and even the Sun Belt, you know, it, uh, you don't have to drive all that far. At least when it comes to West Division games um, to go see your, your son play. So I think that, that plays a, you know, a big part in that regarding the youth. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, part of you says it's great. These guys are going to be here for a while and develop, and they're going to be much better for it, but this is a team sitting at 17 and 25 right now. So, you know, do they need to get, uh, uh, more, newer, different, better talent, you know, over the off season, they will have to replace, you know, as you said, the nine seniors. And that'll be important. And what's funny, when, when you look at the guys who are getting playing time, you know, a lot of them are those those veteran guys. You know, I mentioned Hollis and Jackson Williams and, you know, and then they have uh, Cole Coffee who's leading the team at home runs, you know, and that's a lot of production. Uh, that they're going to have to replace, you know, next year. And with a roster of 47, there's a number of guys, Matt, I haven't seen play this year. Um, so this team, I think, is going to look uh, as many returners as there will be. It's going to look a lot different in 2022. Um, they'll have a different ace. There's Their Friday starter, Zach Lee, is a senior. Um, Garrett Herman, who's had the best year for them in terms of pitching and numbers, he's a senior. So, um, so again, you know, even though they have a lot of youth in the team, uh, we're not going to see, uh, a lot, we won't see, we won't, we will not have seen them much going into the next year. And I'm looking forward to, to the unknown of sorts.
2: So with this team right now, um, like you said, they're sitting at 17 and 25. Uh, but the, you know, I know there's a lot of question marks and doubts. But at the same time, like you said, there I know there's also some 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 guys that have really stepped up as well. Uh but that all falls under one man. That's uh Steven Trout. And uh as we all know that he's it's his second year officially um as Texas State's uh, head baseball coach. Uh he follows he had some big shoes to fill, follow some big footsteps in Ty Harrington who won over 600 games. Um what what kind of coach is Steven Trout? How has he adjusted or fit in with the Texas state program and what, what is his style of coaching and what are, what are his philosophies like, how are they different from a guy like Ty Harrington? And what, Mm -hmm. what is the perception of him from fan base on, on his style of coaching and type of person or coach that he is leading this program?
4: Well, I take you back to Ty Harrington's uh, retirement uh, press conference, you know, and and the, the entire staff was there with uh, you know, Steve Trout and the pitching coach, Chad Massingale, and Jerry as an assistant. Um, and uh, you, you got the vibe then that Ty wanted to hand off the baton, not have the program under, undergo a, a big cultural change. And it didn't take long after that press conference that Steve Trout was announced as the head coach, and many people believed it was the right move at the time and still believe that today. You know, Trouty, as he's known here, you um, take you back, you know, further a little bit. He played at TCU and he actually was uh, roommates with Jake Arietta. The two are still very close to this day. Uh, in fact, when the Cubs played in the 16 World Series, Arietta got him tickets to game four. So Trout was uh, at Wrigley in, in game four. Again, Cleveland won to go up 3 1 and didn't win another game in that series. And, um, so, uh, after TCU, he, he dabbled a little bit in, 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 uh, independent ball and then got into coaching, came to Texas state as a volunteer assistant. Uh, I think it was in the 2009 season, uh, the year that Texas state, uh, got an at-large bid and went to the tournament, you know, with Paul Goldschmidt leading the way that year. And, um, and then went and did his own thing a little bit, you know, uh, other programs the JUCO route circled his career back to Texas State. Uh, I think his first year was 2016 as a hitting coach. And so uh had a lot of ties to the states, having played at, at TCU, um, and then having served as a volunteer assistant and then several years at Texas State, he recruited a lot of those players that were part of that 2019 team that won the Sun Belt title. And um has a great uh, hitting background since, again, that's, that's where that was his position on the staff um, before he took over as head coach. And so many people believed it was a really good fit. And um, and it looked to be the case, you know, in 2020, they were playing so well. Um, he's definitely a player's coach. The guys really like playing for him. Um, he's still young enough where he can relate to the players of today. Um, he, he'll be the first to tell you that this year has been frustrating. I had a, we had a conference call with him uh, ahead of one of our telecasts you know, uh, last week. And by the way, Ty Harrington is my analyst, so he still stays, stays connected with the program. Um, and uh, you know, he, he feels as if maybe some of the guys are pressing right now. He wants them to loosen up a little bit more and, and just have some fun out there. And he reiterated he reiterated to them in a team meeting that everything, all the goals that they had laid out before the season started, are still very much ahead of them. You know, they can still win the Sun Belt. They can still go to the tournament. You know, even though things haven't gone the way they they wanted by this point of the year, those are things they can still accomplish. They're not going to be an at large team as they thought they they might be going into the year, Um, but you know they they can get hot. You know, and. And there's still a tournament looming ahead of them where any of the 12 teams can win. You know, why not them? So, uh, again, he he's somebody that the fans get behind. Um, and, you know, hopefully at some point this year, things will turn around for them and quickly, you know, because there's not a lot of season left.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Chatting with Brant Freeman, the ESPN Plus broadcaster for Texas State. You know, Brant, let's talk about Justin Thompson for a bit. I was looking at Texas State stats, and it's it's no question that he is... <laughs> He's the team's best hitter, batting 308 with five home runs and 33 RBIs on the year. So, obviously, there's no, there's no question that he has a plate presence about him. What else does he, for, for an outsider, what else does he bring to this program outside of his ability at the plate?
4: Well, he had big shoes to fill at third base. You know, you go back to the 2019 team, and that team was loaded with veterans and seniors and experienced players, as most championship teams are. And um, they had Jalen Hubbard at the time at third base. Hubbard was the or is the son of Trinidad Hubbard, who played in the big leagues for a while. And Jalen um, himself got drafted. um, And uh, he's in the Nationals organization now. And he was a really good hitter, maybe even better defender. And so Justin Thompson had to come in and uh, fill that role. And Thompson uh, last year, quite honestly, in the lineup was just kind of a guy. Um, hit about 240 and all of his hits were singles. So it felt like anything you got from him offensively was a bonus, you know, but defensively he was solid, you know, and this year he's turned into a completely different hitter. You know, he's, he's, as you went through the numbers, he's led them all year long. Um, And you're asking, you know, what else does he bring outside of his plate presence? And I go back to his defense. He's a very good defensive third baseman. Um, in terms of, you know, leadership, um, I don't know. I'm not around the team enough to know how he is around the guys. If he's a vocal leader, leads by example. He se- To me, he seems to be more the latter, a lead-by-example guy. I, I don't look at him as a rah-rah kind of guy, um, but his teammates really like him. Um, you know, he's come through in some big situations Just last week against Arkansas State. Bombcaster down 5-1 of the game clawed their way back into it and uh, Thompson had the walk off hit in the bottom of the ninth. Um, so he's, he's one that, that uh, really tends to uh, live up to the moment. And um, you know, he's going to be, be a very important bat and defender for them over the final uh, few weeks
2: in the regular season. So, um, right now I know, uh, in spite of the record and everything else, uh, there is still some talent on the pitching staff. Uh, one of which that sticks out to Matt and I, uh, Garrett Herman, he has an ERA of just under three, four and one record and, uh, only 11 walks and 40, 40 strikeouts. Um, the, when you have stats like that, what, in what ways does he drive the pitching staff to, to perform to higher levels?
4: The funny thing about Herman is that when the year began, he was not in the rotation. Um, He was uh, a midweek starter at best. I don't think he was healthy when the year began, because I don't think we saw him until the second or third week of the year. Um, And the Bobcats had their weekend rotation of Zach Lee and uh, Travis Sundgren and Zeke Wood, and um, uh, that rotation struggled. And then Herman had a couple of pretty good midweek performances. So he got promoted. Um, now he was a guy who was also on the team in 19 and in 20 and 19. He was a midweek starter. Couldn't crack that, that really good weekend rotation. Then again, all three pitchers were drafted. Um, and then last year he wasn't in the weekend rotation either. So I don't think the expectations certainly were not that he's going to have the best numbers on the staff this year. Um, But, you know, again, he's, uh, you know, a a senior, been with the program for three years, you know, puts in a lot of work. His dad, by the way, was a great hitter at Southwest Texas back in the late, back in the mid nineties and, and um, kind of just stuck with it. And so they give him a shot, you know, and and, uh, on the weekends and starts pitching really, really well, had an incredible performance against Troy uh, in in a Saturday win there a few weeks ago. And. And um, so he has become, I I think, the strongest starter in the staff. It was really unfortunate that he did not pitch this past weekend against Arkansas State. Um, uh, An undisclosed injury is what I've been told. Uh, I don't know his status this weekend. I would think he's good to go, but I can't say that uh, with certainty. Um, Because he did not pitch this past weekend, it really threw off the rotation. So uh, the new midweek starter, Tony Roby, who pitched really well against Texas last Tuesday, then then pitched Sunday on short rest against Arkansas State. Uh, it's not his fault the, the Red Wolves the scored 12. I think, he, I think he only gave up one. Um, but that took him out of the uh, midweek rotation for last night's game at Texas A&M. Um, and the Bobcats went kind of, you know, Johnny Allstaff in that game. So... Um, it'd be nice to have him back in the rotation for sure. You know, the Saturday against Louisiana, um, if the Bobcats can go from Zach Lee and get, and get the good version of him to Garrett Herman, and then either Roby or Zeke Wood. they'll be in a good spot. You know, those are, those have been their, their three to four best pitchers all season. And, and Garrett Herman, if they don't have him available,
0: they're going to struggle to find out.
1: You know, you talked about how Herman wasn't in the weekend rotation to begin the season. We, uh, once again, another similarity with our two programs, um uh, our Friday starter, Spencer Arigetti Um uh, mm-hmm. he opened the season as our as our midweek guy. Uh his, his first performance was against his former program in TCU here in uh here in Lafayette. Actually no, I'm sorry, I take that back. His first game was against Louisiana Tech and mm-hmm. uh pitched a seven inning one hitter and out to a two nothing victory. And um from there, we put him in the Saturday spot. He had a he had a great game again. I'm drawing a blank on who he had a great game against. And then we put him in the Friday spot against TCU because that was his former program. You know, wanted to to give him the opportunity to to play well in that matchup and six innings, one hit. Um, and ever since then, he's been our Friday guy. So definitely a similarity between the two programs. Brant you know before we wrap this up let's get into let's get into some of the more lighthearted, fun questions um Mm -hmm. obviously as as somebody who's been in the business for for 20 years you've you've been here there and everywhere covering covering these football programs do you have any um do you have any road trip traditions superstitions anything like that
4: I don't know about superstitions. You know, I really do enjoy going out on the road. Um, you know, a lot of times when Texas State plays Lafayette and I'm out of the sport, um, I tend to drive, you know, and there's always great stops along the way. You know, a lot of people come through Texas. Bucky's is a big tradition. Uh, I know our, our players, you know, really love stopping by there. Um, you know, anytime they can. Um, If I go on 35, of course, the drive to Lafayette is is I-10, but if I take 35 uh, heading north in Texas, say, to a game at Baylor um, or in Fort Worth against TCU, uh, there's a a place on 35 uh, just south of uh, Waco called the Check Stop, really known for their uh, sausage rolls and kolaches, and then that's that's one I really enjoy. Um, You know, I will say that anytime I'm in Lafayette, a uh, must for me is old time grocery. Uh, the, the, the po' boys there, man. Awesome. Um, I think my favorite is the sausage. I know a lot of people talk up the shrimp, you know, but uh, I, I like the sausage po' boys there myself. And so anytime I go to Lafayette, that has to be a place that I go. Just, nice.
1: Just, just a piece of nice. advice. You know, obviously old time's a staple, mm-hmm. but if if you want a pull boy that's a little more unique okay pops downtown okay definitely definitely a place to check out um it, it's kind of become my favorite pull boy place in town um again old old time has a it is in a league all its own mm-hmm. um, the sausage pull boy the shrimp pull boy the old time special you know they're all they're all unmatched but uh you know that that kind of seems to be the answer with everybody, Jerry. Anytime somebody comes to Lafayette, it's all time grocery.
2: Well, it's 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 number one. It's 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 very original, right? It's it's a it's sort of like a hole in the wall local local joint. You know, that's what people love about any place you go to in any any city. I'm sure San Marcos has a share of their own that are. Uh, local places that people love to eat at and old time is a go-to because it's also on campus or right next to campus to where a lot of uh, UL students work there and it's, it's locally owned. Um, But you know, that, that's what, that was really, uh, that was kind of our our next question. Those is places to eat in Lafayette. Are there, are there any other places besides old time? I mean, look, we prod ourselves on Cajun food. Have you gotten some good Cajun food, some good boudin, some good etouffee or jambalaya since you've uh, been to Lafayette? (laughs)
4: I'll tell you that the, the the best spot might be the Teague itself, you know, with the Cajun Cooking Club.
2: Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're great, oh, yeah. you
4: know, and the hospitality there is incredible. Um, and, you know, there have been times where I've been given so much food in that to-go container, like I can't finish it. Um, <laughs> and uh it you know it, it's it's remarkable i know that you know the players really enjoy too on the getaway day that they get it to go box from the cajun cooking club as well i seem to recall there was a series you guys had there against some northern team and, and one of the biggest reasons why their coach scheduled that game was to get them to to uh, see what the culture is like maryland, South.
1: maryland. we played and, maryland
4: and they were uh just in awe of the food and the environment there and and uh So, you know, uh, I think the Cajun cooking club might be one of my favorite spots, you know, in Louisiana, I want to add this. You guys kind of referenced my time in the Southland and now the Sunbelt. And so I've been to Louisiana and the state so many times, so many different cities, um, you know, Lafayette, Monroe, uh, Shreveport, Natchitoches, Hammond, Thibodeau, New Orleans a number of times. And the one thing I found, especially in the Southland, Southland days, no matter where you went, LSU owned the state. Teams would alter their football schedules because of what LSU was doing. Mm -hmm. exception of one city, Lafayette, that place lives and dies by the Raging Cajuns. You're not going to find the purple and yellow anywhere there. You know, it is all Raging Cajuns over there. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of animosity, as I understand, you know, with LSU (laughs) over there.
2: (laughs) That's, and, a, that's uh, an understatement. <laughs> under, so, but, but but it's
4: so welcoming to see, guys. I mean, because, you know, in the group of five, y- you don't find a ton of passionate fan bases, you know, no matter the sport. I mean, you have your diehards, you know. <clears throat> but uh, a lot of times, especially if you're in major metropolitan areas, they're more interested in, like, you know, the SEC or pro sports or, you know, the bigger college in town. And so sometimes we struggle a little bit with our proximity to Texas. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, in Lafayette, I mean, it's all Ragin' Cajuns there. And um, I'm a little envious. It is, but No other Sunbelt City has a bigger investment in their university and their program than Lafayette. Every Sun-billed, uh athletic program university should aspire to be what Ragin' Cajuns, fan, Cajuns fans are to
1: their university.
2: Now, this man knows what he's talking about. Well, here's the thing. You no, know, I'll expand on that real quickly, Brandon. Thank you for the kind words because we pride ourselves on that. You know, here in Louisiana, um, and I'll sum it up like this. I know in Texas, there's a ton of schools that, you know, and there's a lot of major universities. LSU here is really the one P5 in the state. So, of course, for decades, that's really been the only school on the national brand that's really been sold. And one of the big issues you talked about, uh, especially with you guys at Texas State, was the name. Right. It went from Southwest Texas. And you talked about perception, how you go from Southwest Texas to Texas state. I mean, that's a big perception change. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been a, a big struggle with us because we went from University of Southwestern Louisiana, which the USL brand was great. But then we went to University of Louisiana Lafayette. And, I'm, and it, that's obviously still this, the official name. But then we branded ourselves athletically as just Louisiana. And there's a lot of animosity there because a lot of LSU fans don't like that because they feel that it sort of demeans their name. When in reality, to, our, to us, we're like, you're LSU, man. Like, what are you worried? It's like Texas. If Texas came to, te- to, to the Texas State fans going, oh, my gosh, how can you change your name? It demeans us. It's like, come on, man, really? And so, you know, one thing that we, we, we uh, prod ourselves on is also, too, and, and you've, you've traveled Louisiana, like you said, especially in the Southland. You go to other stadiums, you go to other places in Louisiana, you go to a game, whether it's against Nichols, McNeese, whoever, and you'll see a lot of people wearing purple and gold at those games. Uh, and I've noticed that myself when we've done gone to midweek baseball games and things like that, and we'll go play those schools. There's some fans who wear a lot of LSU gear at their games. Mm-hmm. We don't do that over here. Uh, we have our own brand. We have our own sense of pride. Um, it really doesn't have anything to do with LSU, but the the perception in Louisiana is it's LSU 24 seven. Our fan base pulls for our school and, 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 you know, some, some LSU fans can't, don't really understand that, you know, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, but when, when you have one school that's been sold for so long uh, perception wise, you're expected to just support them and nobody else. And in Mm -hmm. here in in, in Lafayette, um, you know, we, we support the Cajuns and, there's a lot of LSU fans here because another thing is, too, we're 45 minutes away. I mean, um, there's the Atchafalaya Basin separates the two universities. And there's, there's also mutual respect amongst family members and stuff. Look, I have cousins, family members that went to LSU. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a friendly rivalry in many ways because family members, right? <laughs> the brother might go to LSU. The, the, the sister might go to UL, but at the same time, uh, you're, I, we appreciate the kind words because we do pride ourselves on, on the brand. The, 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 we, uh, Billy Napier and the football program, uh, they, they have a new hashtag. It's the culture. And they you, they got the capital UL and the culture because it's who we are. And, and we, we try to take in that Cajun culture within our program. And, uh, you know, look, we were voted most unique nickname by ESPN multiple times. So we have to definitely uphold our reputation as uh, as Raging Cajuns down here.
1: Yeah, you know, we we call those colors in Baton Rouge the purple and puke. <laughs> that that that's what that's what we like to say. But Brant, man, we, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, appreciate the insight on Texas State and you know, we call this segment going behind enemy lines. So we appreciate you taking us behind those lines. Uh, before we go, man, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. Sure.
4: So my Twitter handle is at Brandt underscore Freeman. That's the best way to find me on social media.
1: Short, sweet, to the point. I like it. That's right. All right, Brand. Like I said, man, we appreciate you joining us. Um are you are you making the trip to Lafayette this weekend? <sighs> Unfortunately, no. Um uh
4: of all the conference series I'm missing out on this one disappoints me the most. You know, as I mentioned, how much I enjoy going Lafayette. Um, I brought this up earlier in an interview. You know, my role has kind of transitioned from radio to more television, although I still do some radio just last night. I did the baseball game on radio at Texas A. M. and um, But this weekend I am staying in San Marcos to cover a, uh, a track meet on ESPN plus hosted by Texas state. So I unfortunately will not make it, but I look forward to tuning in and listen to Jay Walker
1: over the weekend. Good old Jay bird. Oh, Jay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe your interview will have to ship you some boudin or something. I I'd l- I'd appreciate that. All right, man. Take well, care. Here's,
2: here's, here's but, here, but real quickly. Here's the, sh- here's the trade off. If we do that, you got to take us on a tiki tubing trip in, in San Marcos. We got to go tubing.
1: Done. I like All it. All right. I like it. Brant. Like I said, man, we appreciate you and uh, we'll talk to you in the future, man. Thanks guys. All right. And we'll take a break here on Rage and Review and, and we'll wrap it up when we come back right here on Rage and Review.
0: Awardmaster, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Awardmaster creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review You trust Awardmasters for all of their needs, and you will too. Awardmasters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Awardmasters a call today 337 984 1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Awardmaster, the recognition and personalization experts. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 region Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing Encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today.
1: Welcome back to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear had an intense opening segment talking about this baseball program. And then we got sat down for about an hour with Brant Freeman, the ESPN plus voice of Texas State. Jerry, you know, before we go, any any last words on on this episode?
2: I want to thank Josh and Brent for coming on. Uh, thought both segments were very good, very informative, and you know, that's what we do as fans. We like to get to know about the teams we play, but we also like to talk about what's going on with our team. And I thought this episode had just that. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, it was very fun. It was kind of a very last minute type uh, episode today. But we figured we this was something we had to get off our chest as fans because we know you, the fans that are listening, have the same concerns have the same worries and you're kind of I'm kind of curious about who we're playing this weekend to see if this this uh this team can correct correct their uh correct their little slump that they have but um overall thanks for having me on and uh it was it was a lot of fun as always matt
1: yeah no question about it cajun nation you know the drill you can follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at region review region you can get all the episodes and sponsorship information there as well you can find this podcast like we always say. You know, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, you name it. If it's a podcast app, you're gonna find Region Review there. Um, spread the word, tell your friends. Uh, we can we can blow this thing up the way we've always wanted to. Uh, we appreciate you guys' support as always, and uh, well, stay tuned for the games this weekend at Te- with Texas State. On I think all three games are on ESPN Plus this weekend. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, 6 o'clock Friday, 4 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday pregame for ESPN 1420 or KPL 96.5. I'm not sure which one. It's on either way, 30 minutes before first pitch. Cajun Nation, stay tuned, stay well, and we will talk to you guys soon. As always, go Cajuns.